1: us online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. It's a Monday. It's February 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortillaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. If you'd like to chime in, 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls around 30 and 12:15. Once again, 602-260-1060. The Phoenix Suns—they competed over the weekend. We also have ASU, U of A college hoops conversation. The NFL scouting combine players are actually uh, starting to make their way to Indianapolis this week, and the actual combine drills officially get started on Thursday. Uh, so. Plenty to discuss around the league, plus some MLB spring training notes and things to get into. But let's set the scene with today's poll questions, and we'll get things started with the KDOS1060.com poll question. Which star-dominated team is more likely to make a playoff run? The options being Suns or Lakers. And the 50-50 split is no more with the Lakers squeaking things out right now. 55% of the vote, Suns trailing at 45%.
0: The television networks, I'm sure, are hoping that both these teams make deep playoff runs because they have star power on each team. Um, I'm guessing that a lot of the people that watched that game yesterday weren't very impressed with the level of play because that was bad basketball yesterday. Uh, the Suns up winning uh, 123 to 113.
1: And we'll get into that here momentarily. Uh, Let's toss it on over to the X poll question at KDUS AM 1060. Should the Cubs be favored to win the NL Central after re-signing Valley product Cody Bellinger? Three-year, $80 million deal to go back to the Cubs. There are opt-outs every year of the contract. Yes, leading the way at 90% of the vote now. No trailing at 10%.
0: Yeah, I think certainly you know nobody. Well, I shouldn't say n- not many people. Mm-hmm. At least the prognosticators that try to project how much somebody's going to get and so forth. At the end of last season, I don't think anybody thought that Bellinger would get a you know cum- cumulative contract. You mentioned the opt-outs, but right now, three years, eighty million. I think that uh, the majority, if not everybody, that uh, in that business, trying to figure out who's going to get what and how many years. Uh, had maybe the three years, but not, uh, I think they had more than $80 million and I'm a little surprised. Maybe there's just no market for him at all. Uh, but you know, maybe the Cubs weren't competing against anybody, but Scott Boris usually gets better deals than this for his clients.
1: Yeah. And you know what? Scott Boris has a couple of other clients that remain unsigned at this point in time. So it'll be curious to see what happens on that front for those players, uh, like, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery still yet to determine where they're going to play for 2024.
0: And J.D. Martinez is another one of those guys. He's got, he had the top five guys. Now we're down to four. Uh, but J.D. Martinez reportedly turned down a contract to sign with the Giants before they signed Soler last week.
1: We'll get into that with our official answer around 1230 today. As I mentioned at the top, your turn 602, 260, 1060 if you'd like it around 1130 and 1215 let's dive into yesterday here with the Phoenix Suns it did it let's start though first with Friday where it was a disappointing loss on Friday to the Rockets 114 to 110 so the question here was how was this team going to respond with the Lakers in town on Sunday afternoon LeBron and Anthony Davis playing for the Lakers Nurkic was available and playing for the Suns after missing Friday's game there was still no Bradley Beal uh dealing with that hamstring in It ended up being a 123 to 113 win for the Suns couple of things that certainly stood out to me Kevin Durant struggling a little bit with his shot it's been that way for for a few games in a row now seven of twenty two of eight from three five rebounds seven assists and 22 points Devin Booker eight of 18, one of four from three three rebounds nine assists 21 points for him the team was led by Grayson Allen who was six of twelve from three for 24 points Royce O'Neill got the start in place of Eric Gordon who didn't play six of ten uh, ten rebounds and 20 points for O'Neal from behind the arc the Allen and O'Neal tandem essentially sealed the game with back-to-back threes putting the Suns up 116 to 104 with three minutes to play and then I can't stop without mentioning Nurkic and that he may have had his best game of the season in a Suns uniform 7 of 12 22 rebounds including seven offensive boards seven assists for 18 points.
0: Yeah, I'll start with the best. I mean, Nurkic, that, that was without question, considering the opponent. Uh, his best game as a son. Uh, you know, he completely outplayed Davis, and you know, I know Davis had some garbage numbers at the end. There was a lot of garbage you know, numbers in this whole game, quite frankly. I'll get to that part in a minute. But Nurkic was terrific. Uh, he had to play 37 minutes uh, because you know the, a couple of the injury situations and you you cannot have Eubanks on the floor. I mean, I'm sorry. He just, uh, you know, part of the bad bench that the Suns have. And Bull Bull makes you know, plays, and people go wild when he makes some plays. That's great. He can't guard anybody. And uh, teams just put him in pick-and-roll situations, and that pretty much got him benched for a while, you know, at least a portion of the game yesterday when the Lakers were briefly smart enough to get him in pick-and-roll situations. But the Lakers are a horrendously coached team, And this was, quite frankly, a really horribly played basketball game, which I'm sure did enormous ratings because of all the star power on both teams. So everybody thought it was probably great. But the general public doesn't understand what bad basketball is, and this game was bad basketball by both teams, and somebody had to win.
1: Uh, Moving on from that, a couple of things that stood out to me. uh, This wasn't smooth sailing or everything all hunky-dory for the Suns. And there was a sequence that really stood out to me in the third quarter where I thought maybe this encapsulates what I've been seeing from this Suns team where events keep happening. It makes things very tough to get wins or it's kind of unexplainable how it just snowballs in a way. Uh, Kevin Durant here blocks a three-pointer on Max Christie Booker gets the rebound and throws it ahead to a leaking out Kevin Durant Kevin Durant then follows that up with missing the layup to which Anthony Davis gets the rebound throws it ahead he's trailing the play and he ends up getting a thunderous dunk off of this the ensuing Suns possession Booker loses the ball out of bounds and the Lakers turn around and hit a three it just kind of was this chaos here and at times I've been trying to to put my put put words to what I'm watching for why this keeps happening just strange things series of events everything is so hard for the Suns offensively at times and this seemed to just kind of epitomize how a great play spiraled out of control and it ended up being a net positive for the other team.
0: Well, if we're doing LA shock radio, I'm guessing we're saying about 10 other sequences from the Lakers side where the exact thing, same thing happened to them. Uh, this is I'm not exaggerating here. This was a really horribly played basketball game by both teams. And, you know, it was basically their average teams to begin with, and they played below average yesterday.
1: Uh, Also, then following up from that, they were able to rally that this is sometimes when these series of events take place, they start to really spiral out of control. And I think it goes back in line with the offensive possessions are just really tough for the Suns. But that wasn't the case here. Grayson Allen, he's really been fantastic for the Suns since he got here uh, all season long. O'Neal, he showed defense. He showed his ability to get rebounds uh, and his ability to shoot the three in Sunday's conference. Contest. So credit to them for being uh, big time difference makers here. And then you had, I- I'm curious what you think about this. Tim Legler was on with Scott van Pelt last night, and they were talking about the West and specifically with the Suns. and Legler was talking about how uh, much of this season, the offense basically comes down to KD, Booker or Beal making really tough shots and everything. He also used the terminology hard quite often yesterday. He felt against the Lakers so this was the first time he's seen some offensive flow. He said that everything started with Nurkic. The in and out game was really apparent and that there were signs of what this team could be capable of. Do you agree with that?
0: No, not in the least. Uh, I don't think there I didn't see it last night. Sorry about that. I didn't You know, just didn't watch that show, but the Lakers suck on defense. I mean, the Suns got any shot they wanted at any point. As they don't turn it over, they got any shot they wanted. And the, the, the notion that the Suns are just going to flip a switch here, we're almost 60 games into the season, they can't – they do not I don't know what they're trying to do on offense, 60 games into the season. I'm not even blaming Vogel. He just has an unbalanced roster that it was horribly constructed – They don't have a point guard to settle them down when they need to be settled down. They lead the you know free world sometimes. It seems like in turnovers, Uh, the Lakers don't force turnovers, so that wasn't a problem yesterday. They usually get out rebounded. That wasn't a problem yesterday because the Lakers are the second worst rebounding team in the NBA, and uh, so you know coupled the Suns' weaknesses, you know the Lakers aren't good enough to even exploit those things and and i don't know how many times i need to say this but this was a horribly played basketball game that somebody had to win
1: uh well during the broadcast here after what took place uh over friday's game the sun had and saturday's games the suns had fallen to eighth in the west following their win and the subsequent losses to the pelicans and the mavs the suns are now sitting in 6th the timberwolves at 40 and 17 the thunder 40 and 17 then you have the nuggets at 39 and 19 the clippers 37 and 19 then the kings now sitting in 5th at 33 and 23 the suns 34 and 24 pelicans 34 and 24 the mavs 33 and 24 the lakers 31 and 28 and the Warriors sitting at 29 and 27. And I have a feeling we're going to continue to see this uh, pretty much virtually every single day of change in positioning as the stretch run continues.
0: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I don't know what the schedule is as far as you know, who's playing whom, but we do know that the Suns. Uh, we've now heard 700 times in the last three broadcasts that they have the toughest remaining schedule in the league whether it be the Thursday night TNT game or the ABC game yesterday, that was pointed out more than occasionally. <laughs> so that, that's just the way it is. But, yeah, you know, they had the easiest schedule in the NBA before the All-Star break, and they didn't take advantage of that. Uh, you know, they lost some games to teams. You know, they've lost twice to Houston this year. They, you know, if you're going to be a championship contending team and get a good seed – That means top four in the conference or no worse than top six in the conference. You can't be blowing those games more than occasionally, and they've done it more than occasionally, unfortunately. Uh, And, you know, I apologize to keep going back to this, but I just don't understand how anybody can take anything out of that game yesterday because nobody guarded anybody in that game. And, you know, two teams that have star players that just aren't very good.
1: Uh, around the NBA yesterday, you had the Bucks topping the Seventy Sixers one nineteen to ninety eight. The Bucks uh, got Doc Rivers his win in his return to Philadelphia. The Bucks have also held opponents to under one hundred points in three of their last six games. So we'll see if the the Bucks are moving in a good direction now that Doc Rivers has been there for for a little bit.
0: Well, they're certainly defensively. I saw just the end of that game uh, yesterday before the Suns game started, and they mentioned that the – I knew that the Bucks. There were 22nd in the NBA in defense when they made the move from Adrian Griffin because you know was the biggest reason they made that move, other than the fact that you know, apparently Giannis and, and, and Lillard wanted him fired. Uh, but you know, statistically, the defense was the biggest reason. Uh, the, the Bucks are now in their top five of defense in the NBA if you just take the Doc Rivers games.
1: Uh, then you also have the Pacers beating the Mavericks 133-111. to 111. This snapped a seven-game winning streak for the Mavs, and they were suddenly uh, catching attention, obviously, in their uh, primetime matchup against the Suns a couple of days ago. And then also, like I said, the seven-game winning streak, and even Luka was starting to get a little discussion there of potentially being a dark horse for MVP.
0: That's a joke. I mean, yeah, you're going to finish like fifth or sixth in in the conference and you're an MVP candidate? Give me a break. That's just the metrics idiots just looking at numbers and not watching games.
1: The Bulls beat the Pelicans one fourteen to one oh six, so that was helpful for the Suns. The Kings beat the Clippers one twenty three to one oh seven. They did so without Paul George. De'Aaron uh, Paul George obviously playing for the Clippers. De'Aaron Fox for the Kings, though he had thirty three points. And then the Nuggets beat the Warriors one nineteen to one oh three in a big Sunday slate of games in the NBA.
0: Yeah, well, I watched one of them. Well, I watched the end of the book, the. the... Last 20 seconds of the Philadelphia game by accident because I thought the Suns game would be starting by then. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, uh, the Paul George thing that seemed like that this may be more than just a game from what I heard during the Suns game yesterday.
1: And that's obviously a big piece uh, to this Clippers and their run is health health when it matters in the playoffs. And it's been several years now that they haven't had that health or the unfortunate part for the Clippers fans, uh, health impacting them mid-series as well. Uh, On the other side of the break, we'll get into 10 NBA stretch run storylines. It's coming to us from uh, Brad Botkin of CBSSports.com. So we'll get into more of that around the NBA here on KDOS AM 1060. It is The Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortillaro here with you.
0: Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays to you, 1 to 3 p.m., right here on KDUS AM 1060. Eleven
1: twenty-three here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app. Bob Camp, Caleb Mortelaro here with you up until 1 o'clock today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. 10 NBA Stretch Run Storylines by Brad Botkin of CBSSports.com. We'll see if any of these 10 NBA Stretch Storylines can pique Bob's interest. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're less than optimistic here?
1: (laughs) I am less than optimistic, so we'll see if we can do it.
0: I'm very impressed he came up with 10. So, you know, God bless. You know, his editor, I'm sure, was on his ass to do this, but uh, good for him. So um, let's dive in.
1: All right, let's do it. We'll start with number one here. And probably to no surprise, it is Doc Rivers and the Bucks. When you make... A change like you do mid-season obviously the expectations here are that suddenly this team is going to get turned around and be able to contend for an NBA title here so as we just mentioned three of the last six games for the Bucks have held opposing teams to under 100 points so there seems to be a little bit of defensive prowess coming through with Doc Rivers now uh, but will they be able to continue to hit their Stride? Can they contend? Those are going to be some things that we'll have to continue to monitor here for the Bucks as they uh, continue forth with 20 or so games left to go.
0: I don't think they can contend. I've never thought they could contend. As soon as they got Damian Lillard on this team, it eliminated them from winning a championship because he can't guard anybody, and that's been a big problem. I'm not. I haven't watched the Bucks play uh, since Doc actually became the coach, except for the like 25 seconds I saw yesterday by accident. Uh, but that game was already well-decided by the time I you know, they I, I tuned in. Uh, they kind of just turned it on as opposed to tuned in. Uh, so I'm not sure if he's doing later uh, differently to protect Lillard. But clearly, when you go from 22nd in league defense for roughly the first 45 games of the season to the last 10 or however many Doc's been the coach now to the top five in the league, something's different.
1: Uh, yeah, something is different. So we'll see how, if it's an anomaly or if it's uh, something to hang your hat on for Bucks fans. Number two here on this list is can the Warriors crack the top six? Uh, On paper for their schedule, it looks doable, but they obviously need to turn around and win these games. Steve Kerr, uh, this is a side note, he is now the highest paid head coach in NBA history here. He's also been tweaking the lineups. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga, he's in the lineup, hitting his groove, and it does seem now that Clay Thompson is firmly coming off of the bench.
0: I think those are all good things. Um, also, they don't play the Nuggets anymore in the regular season. They haven't beaten them for like three years, and I'm not exaggerating. They've lost like you know multiple games in a row to the Nuggets over the years. So they're done with them after they lost to them again yesterday or Saturday, one of those two days. Uh, they, lost, you know, you know, they lost the last time when Jokic hit the miracle shot. They got their asses handed to them in the game on Saturday. But I actually think this is a possibility. Uh, When we had Mo DeKeele on last week from The Athletic talking about uh, the NBA, and I asked him about the Warriors and Lakers, and, yeah, he's not much like me, apparently. Not exactly a big Lakers fan and don't really think that uh, they can get it together. They just aren't uh, very well constructed. I do think that the Warriors uh, have a capability of getting some uh, – do some damage. I don't think they're going to win a championship – but I think that uh, they've got a chance to you know was it getting the top 6? You know, they could Correct. do that. Um they can't very many they're obviously chasing chasing losses already though because they're you know considerably you know, four they three or four games behind now or somewhere in that ballpark. But yeah, it's it's yeah, that's possible. I mean, I could I could you know I wouldn't be shocked if that happened. And that's partly because the really after you get past the Nuggets at number 4 uh, does anybody really think any of these other teams in the uh, Western Conference are any good or championship worthy?
1: Number two, or number three on this list uh, is that it's become a two man MVP race. Nikola Jokic is the betting favorite, but you have to start to wonder here about Shea Gildas Alexander and what the Thunder are doing. The Thunder are still tied for first in the West, uh, so how does that all shape up? But I think I know that you don't really care for mvp races so i'm going to shift away from that specific uh
0: no t- time out i have an opinion here believe okay. it or not oh, i okay. can i can definitely understand the gilgis alexander thing because they're actually good as opposed to the lucas Doncic nonsense anybody that thinks he's an mvp candidate or should be an would vote for him should just be stripped of their award and not allowed to be watched basketball ever again
1: That was going to be my question was just about Shea Gildas Alexander. And I think that he is absolutely worthy of being in this conversation because of, uh, the nature of this thunder team. And he's, you know, look, the, the roster I think seems to be constructed really well. And they've found a lot of youthful pieces that are playing well, but he's very clearly, uh, the lead guy on this team.
0: Totally. And, uh, I thought the same thing really last year, but, uh, I think their roster is really well constructed for the regular season, but I don't like their chances of doing a whole lot of damage in the postseason. They don't have enough veteran players. They don't get enough stops. Even though this year in the NBA, it seems like nobody gets any stops, and hopefully once the playoffs start, there will be a couple of teams that can actually guard somebody.
1: Uh, Number four here is Rookie of the Year race. You have Wemba Myama, who has 150 blocks, 156, uh, 50 assists, and 75 threes. And he's the first player in history with a combination of those numbers uh, put together. Meanwhile, Chet Holmgrim, he's still eligible for rookie of the year because he missed his rookie campaign with an injury he has 100 plus threes 150 plus blocks and that's the first combination of that particular set of numbers uh for this though I i think you would probably almost have to default to chet holmgren if you're going to account for how the success of the team is doing
0: Uh, you would hope so but you know that certainly has not mattered in the past and you know individual words in team sports uh not exactly my cup of tea and especially rookie of the year
1: uh number five on this list is that LeBron is nearing 40,000 career points he's 74 points shy from that 40,000 mark their schedule the Lakers schedule in general general here is um not easy either they're Well, it's a home game, but it's technically a Clippers home game. Uh, Lakers at Clippers, then Wizards versus the Lakers, Nuggets versus the Lakers, Thunder versus the Lakers, and Kings versus the Lakers. So for the Lakers being a team that want to get themselves into the playoffs, if they wanted to see if they could avoid the play-in at all, uh, they also have a tough stretch of games here upcoming.
0: Yeah, unfortunately for LeBron and the Lakers, they don't play the Suns anymore. He could get 70 against them if they played the game long enough. Uh, so we'll see. Uh, yeah, it's an obviously just you know all of my you know sarcasm towards the NBA regular season aside. Yeah, it's an amazing. Uh, everything's amazing about the way that he's playing at his age, and uh, it's just uh, you know, I. It, I would have never imagined that anybody uh, that plays so hard uh all the time, you know, I know as I was on his case last week. I don't understand how you can miss the last game before the play before the All-Star game and the first game after the all-star game and play in the All-Star game. I think that that legit, that criticism was legitimate, but you know just his career in general and his longevity of his career at this point and playing at the level that he's still playing at is astounding to me.
1: Uh, who wins the West is number six on this list. Do you have the Timberwolves, Thunder, Nuggets, or Clippers that have really separated themselves from the rest of the West here? But if you look at this here, do you really think that the Nuggets or the Clippers care about being the number one seed, uh, whereas the Timberwolves and the Thunder probably do care a little bit more about that? Uh, so they're going to really maybe have more of an emphasis there. So it probably would come down to the T-Wolves and the Thunder.
0: No, I think that's an excellent point by you. I think that those teams—they're uh, not used to being in these situations—and also, if you, you want to put yourself in the best position, I also don't think there's any question that the Nuggets are just cruising their way through the regular season. And you know, once the—I'm usually not one that thinks it will just—you know—snap your finger as soon as the playoffs start. But for them, I think they will, as long as they're healthy uh you know, it seems like at least recently they've had most of their guys playing so that's a good thing uh so you know I, I the nuggets are if they care and they're healthy i think they win the west and i think they win the nba quite frankly again
1: How much are the Knicks and the Cavs true contenders here? Bojan Bogdanovic, (laughs) if he keeps knocking down some threes for the Knicks. Uh, Jalen Brunson, boy, you know, you were spot on about Jalen Brunson. I was a little bit more skeptical of of him. That was wrong. He's a very good basketball player. Then you also have OG Inanubi. According to reports here, he's right on schedule with his rehab. Uh, They're a top 10 offense and a top 10 defense for the Knicks and I'll briefly talk about the Cavs they're 24 and 7 since December 16th and they've had to kind of shift their philosophy a bit they've made 14 and a half threes per game in that stretch you also have Donovan Mitchell playing uh, probably his best basketball
0: and that's saying something because he's had some great uh, seasons before and uh, had a couple good playoff runs in his Utah days uh, and then, unfortunately, had a couple of bad Game Sixes and Game Sevens in his Utah days, and they got eliminated. Uh, but uh, you know, to me, I, I, I'm much more of a believer in the Knicks than I am the Cavs. I need to, you know, just I haven't watched the Cavs much at all, quite frankly. I've seen a, you know a few games of the Knicks here and there, and some more highlights of them than I have the Cavs. But you know, it, as long as Thibodeau doesn't run them into the ground. Uh, which is his kind of his uh, history. Uh, Maybe these injuries that they've had are not a bad thing for them in a way because assuming they're healthy at the end of the regular season, they will not have played 700 meaningless minutes that they didn't need to play before the playoffs start, which has been a big problem for Thibodeau no matter where he's been in his career, whether it's been Chicago, Minnesota, or New York.
1: Uh, number eight on this list is the 76ers without Embiid they're four and seven since he went down with an injury how far will they fall without Embiid and clearly the moves that Daryl Morey made uh, before the trade deadline said that they and I think he maybe even publicly said this too that uh, they're trying to do everything they can to uh, put themselves in a position to give Embiid a chance when he comes back from this injury here but if they don't stop the slide it's not Going to matter
0: true in all cases yeah you know, I appreciate Maury's effort to try to you know, you know stay above water uh, with uh, some trade deadline additions I will never ever believe in a Philadelphia 76ers team or maybe any team that Joel Embiid ever plays on until I can actually see him make it through an entire season and the postseason healthy I just can't do it I don't care who they have on your team I don't care who the coach is I don't care who the general manager is. I just can't buy it.
1: Speaking of health, number nine on this list is can the Lakers and the Clippers stay healthy? Uh, It's really been a while since the Clippers were all healthy for the playoffs. So can they be? And can we actually see what this team is capable of doing? And then for the Lakers side of things, if LeBron or AD go down, then the Lakers have absolutely no shot here
0: yeah, also I think the Vanderbilt injury has really been overlooked. I mean he's one of the he's like the one of the they only have like two or three guys on that team that can guard anybody, and he's a excellent defender, and he may be out for the season.
1: Now, finally, last on his list here pertains to the Suns, and he says Phoenix has a math problem. Uh, The only current (laughs) playoff team that makes fewer threes per game than the Suns are the Nuggets. The Suns have taken at least 43 six times this season. They are 5-1 when they do. So uh, I guess the suggestion here is to shoot some more quality threes. But uh, Phoenix has a lot. To do to stay out of the play in tournament. And we kind of talked a little bit about that in the previous segment with how everything is so bunched in the West and it can change probably day to day.
0: Okay, let me see here. Maybe I got, maybe my recollection is foggy here. The Nuggets didn't make a ton of threes last year. Kayla, who won the championship last year with ease? Ooh,
1: I think that was the Denver Nuggets.
0: So who gives a damn about whether you make three pointers or not? Because they didn't.
1: Yeah, they've figured it out. They've figured out how to play their brand of basketball. Obviously, I think uh, Nikola Jokic being the player that he is certainly helps. Uh, but really, they have they have the spacing on the floor to make it happen. They have found, like I said, they don't have – we've talked about this before. The depth maybe uh, is a little bit lacking, but their core, they truly believe in, in those guys.
0: And they actually guard people most of the time. What a concept. And a team that won a championship played good defense? Hmm, how about that?
1: But I do think that the quote-unquote math problem, if you go back to just last year, that was a sentiment as well following the Suns, that trading twos for threes uh, was putting you behind the eight ball. That was, at least I remember it being a topic a couple of different times.
0: I don't care what the math problem is on offense. If you don't play defense or get rebounds, I don't give a damn what the math is. You're going to lose against good teams, and that's happened for a couple years running now. 602-260-1060
1: is the number if you'd like to chime in. Uh, We'll step aside, though, unless you have something to say about the Suns or some of these 10 NBA stretch run storylines. Feel free to chime in about that. 602-260-1060. If not, we're going to step aside and dive into uh, the 33rd, put together a list of ranking every NFL offensive play caller entering the 2024 offseason. Yikes. Yeah, we're not going to go through all 32 teams, but I think there's some interesting names here and also maybe their positioning on this list. We'll do it next.
0: Interact with Bob Kemp's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kent's bottom line at KDUS1060.com. 11.43
1: 11.43 here on KDOS AM 1060. Bob Kim, Kayla Martellaro here up until 1 o'clock today here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app. The 33rd put together their rankings for every NFL offensive play caller entering the 2024 offseason we are definitely not going through all 32 teams if you're interested in the complete list you can certainly find it and uh read the list there but i thought it was interesting some of the play callers that have uh found their way in the top order and then where uh one drew petzing fell on this list so getting things started number one and, and maybe to no surprise here I'm, I'm curious if you have any pushback for who's number one but it's Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers yes I know he is the head coach but he's also the offensive play caller here uh and that the the idea is that he has not been one dimensional that he's changed how he called plays when he was with the Falcons to how he calls plays now he's called plays a little bit differently as well depending upon who the quarterback has been. Um, but I'm just also curious here, how should not winning a Super Bowl impact him on this list, or should it have no bearing on this list?
0: Uh, no bearing. I think the most impressive thing about Shanahan and his play calling is you no know, matter who the quarterback is, you know, he's changed around the personnel, and there's, his offense changed drastically when they got Christian McCaffrey. Obviously, I think most teams probably would do that, but he made a big change, uh, and, and and it's obviously uh, didn't work out particularly well in the last game they played. But uh, you know, I think that that was uh, it. You know, I'm sure if you're a defensive coordinator and you had to you know game plan against Shanahan pre McCaffrey, it has changed drastically post McCaffrey.
1: Number two on this list is Sean McVay. He, too, has had his offenses change a lot since you go back to the Jared Goff days to now what he's doing with Matthew Stafford. And I think 2023 also showed a really great mix of his ability to lean on the run. And when the run is working to just keep running it down your throat, he uses motion. And then all of a sudden he hits you with uh, Stafford's arm and the big play's Play potential from Stafford,
0: but I think there's one thing that has been constant almost all through the McVay years, uh, whether it's you know Todd Gurley or kind of the committee of running backs he's had in the last two or three years, is that a lot of his offense, or the large majority of it, is just predicated on play action pass. But you have to be able to run the ball to pull that off, and the the offensive line has been inconsistent or injured, or both, in uh, two of the last three years. Uh, so I think that that's kind of uh, you know, modified or you know, kind of slowed down his approach a little bit. He's probably thrown more than he wanted to. More throw first, then establish the run, and then throw. Uh, but his preference clearly is you know, play-action pass, without a doubt. And you have to respect the run if you, once again, are a defensive coordinator uh, for the play-action passes to be successful.
1: Number three on this list is Andy Reid with the Chiefs. Uh, It's hard to argue with a couple of Super Bowls in a row here. It's hard to argue with uh, really kind of finding something at the end of this season i know a lot of credit certainly goes to patrick mahomes here as well andy Reid, he's always been very good with wrinkle plays too uh so and tight ends and the screen game and getting the backs involved so he's kind of been the master of some of those types of plays throughout his entire career
0: I agree with that last part, though, but I kind of hate the, you know, I don't know about the, the, does the wrinkle plays, does that include some of the nonsense and stupid-ass plays that they've used at the goal line, that which uh, sometimes have backfired miserably and could have backfired this year had they lost that Buffalo game?
1: That was a bad, bad play, for sure. There, um, there's
0: a bunch of these all the time, though. I mean, every year, whether it was Philadelphia or Kansas City, that he tries to get too tricky at the goal line, just give it to Pacheco for God's sakes, and make things easier for yourself.
1: Number four on this list, curious to hear your reaction when I say who the offensive coordinator is. He's also a head (laughs) coach. Mike McDaniel with the Dolphins. Um, yeah. He finds ways to use speed. Obviously, speed is a huge factor with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill on the offense to his advantage. But we've seen, and especially this last year, when the Dolphins end up playing more physical teams, what ends up happening to this offense here? I know that there were plenty of injuries on the offensive line. So I'm wondering if maybe some of those injuries caused what happened or if he still has to figure out how to match up physically uh, when a more physicality game is needed?
0: I think that that's a really good question. Uh, You know, even when they were healthy, as far as their offensive line early in the season, they got manhandled at the line of scrimmage in that loss against Buffalo. Uh, Just for an example, when pretty much everybody on both those teams were healthy at that point, Unfortunately, by the end of the season, 80% of the Dolphins' offensive line at one point was out. Uh, And then, obviously, the, the Bills, arguably three of their four best defenders, were injured after that game. In fact, I believe that White got injured during that game, that first game against Buffalo this year. So, you know, that was maybe the only game that the... Yeah, you know, there weren't too many games this year, unfortunately, in the NFL where both the uh, offense and defense were at full strength. Good offenses and defenses were at full strength. And that, for me, made it difficult to evaluate some teams. But the, 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 uh, the, the Bills and the Dolphins, I think, are actually a couple teams I pretty much was right about most of the season, uh, with the exception of one stretch where Buffalo – you know when they were really bad, and then I was not surprised at all when they started winning a bunch of games at the end of the year where they have like a six-game winning streak before they lost that playoff game.
1: Number five on this list, and maybe I'd have these two reversed, uh, Matt LaFleur with the Packers. Um, It was always previously, I think, hard to evaluate Matt LaFleur as head coach and offensive coordinator when Aaron Rodgers was there because Aaron Rodgers had so much uh, flexibility at the line of scrimmage to get in and out of plays. You kind of were never really sure, is this Aaron Rodgers' offense? Is this LaFleur's offense here? But this past season with Jordan Love stepping in, uh, they certainly grew into uh the the offense here they utilized the run game when Aaron Jones was able to come back and be healthy and uh you've also seen the fact that this team we talked about it a lot in the playoffs how they were the youngest team in the NFL really the development of them on the offensive side of the ball
0: yeah I don't think this is just uh the offensive coordinator and head coach same thing here in this case but uh, that they did it, their whole coaching staff just did a tremendous job of coaching players up, whether it be the offensive line, which was questionable to begin the season, and they had some injuries to key players that didn't come back. Bakhtiar, obviously, the left tackle, and that, that position was very strong by the end of the year. They, did a, they just did the player development on this roster, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball, was phenomenal. Uh, so, you know, they've done, a, they've done a great job with that. Uh, they've got all the young receivers that we've talked about. You know, so, and Jordan Love was good. Uh, but uh, I think everybody collectively, and I mentioned this at least a couple of times during the regular season, I think it, it's just not a Lafleur thing. I think that, that I can make a case. I don't know. if they, used, they have a thing in college football, like the best coaching staffs and so forth. Somebody, uh, the sporting news used to do that. Somebody does that. If you did that for the NFL, I think I can make a case that the Packers were the best coach team, at least on offense in the entire league this past season, because of how much they improved during this season.
1: I'm really curious to see. Jordan loves development in the offseason because obviously there were certain times where he got away with some things with just some pure arm talent. Is he going to be able to kind of shore up some of the other footwork and take that next leap? So curious how all that's going to unfold, but we'll continue on with the offensive coordinators on the other side of the break.
0: Check out KDUSAM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7, channel number two. Wrapping up our
1: right here on KDOS AM 1060 online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app, we'll likely have to carry this into our number two, where we'll also dive into college hoops, U of A, ASU, and more. But continuing the 33rd, putting together uh, rankings of every NFL offensive play caller entering the 2024 offseason here. Uh, Kyle Shanahan was number one, Sean McVay two, three Andy Reid, four Mike McDaniel, five Matt LaFleur six here is Sean Payton with the Broncos obviously head coach and offensive play caller the 33rd admits that uh This is also kind of a ranking that's based upon his two-plus decades of innovative, effective play calling when he was in New Orleans and not necessarily...
0: Career career Achievement Award.
1: Correct, and not necessarily (laughs) what happened last year with the Denver Broncos. However, uh, he did get a little bit more out of Russell Wilson than Nathaniel Hackett had done the previous season, and he also really seemed to lean into and be committed to the ground game.
0: Wilson was actually I think pretty good for at least half the season and it seemed like after was that game at Houston where they just completely imploded and uh seemed to lose trust of the head coach the rest of the, game, the rest of the season. And then they had to figure out they they also figured out they if they played him anymore they had to pay him. <laughs> right. So, and then bad, it became bad, Jared
1: Stidham time.
0: Really bad combination. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, Number seven on this list here, and maybe I think he should be a little bit higher, uh, Kevin O'Connell. Because, uh, one, he's a Sean McVay disciple if we follow along in the chronology of his career. But in Minnesota, they really couldn't run the football at all. But he found a way to get the offense moving. And then you also have the fact that he had multiple different quarterbacks last season. And then prior to that, the connection with Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson was undeniable.
0: And not just the multiple quarterbacks, the, the drastically different styles and strengths and weaknesses of those quarterbacks. He had to change, I'm sure, had to change his offense a hundred times just to structure what those quarterbacks did the best because they didn't seem to be anywhere in sync from guy to guy. I'm not blaming him for that at all. Just you had to, whoever you could find, you played them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They were in uh, some dire straits there at times. We'll continue wrap this up, figure out where Drew Petzing, offensive coordinator for the Cardinals, lands on the list. Then I promise we'll get into college hoops to uh, also continue on with our number two. It's all happening here in the Extra Point on KDOS AM 1060, online at kdos1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app.